So we want to finish this sermon series. Next Sunday I'm going to start the little book of Haggai. And years ago I preached through Haggai. I think it's a good time for our church to maybe go back through that. So as we finish this series on faith, F-A-I-T-H, we first of all looked at fearless faith. Isaiah 43 reminded us, that God goes with us, we're never alone, no matter what's happening in our lives. The second sermon was A, for align with God, and that is we have a choice. We can either do things by the way of the world, or we can do things by the way of God, and we're supposed to be on the side of God. Then we looked at I, which was instruction, 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. And also to focus on these things. And then also the idea of mentorship. Mentorship is often overlooked. But uh, taking a young believer and nurturing them in the faith. Paul says, whatever you see in me, I want you to do. And so maybe if you know a young person that's or an older person that's trusted in Christ recently, take them under your wing, guide them, help them grow in the faith. Then we looked at Thanksgiving from Hebrews. And we learned that the Old Testament was ushered in. Uh, It was a fearful time for the nation of Israel. They looked up and they saw God on the mountain with Moses. And thankfully, we are now on the side of grace. Amen? We are on the side of grace and we live in God's grace. There's nothing wrong with the Old Testament. The Old Testament is fully inspired. But it also shows you the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And... uh, This will naturally lead us to hope. And that's where I want to look at today. I like this fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. Wonderful hymn. It's been a while since we've sung that. But a mighty fortress is our God. And really hope is the outflow of faith. And you'll notice here three times in five verses, Paul writes the word hope. Romans should not be unfamiliar to any of us. It was written by the Apostle Paul. The letter was carried to Rome by Phoebe. uh, And he said at the end, please make sure you give her everything that she needs. So Paul trusted her with delivering the letter. Uh, It's really a masterpiece. The, uh, The Apostle Paul, first three chapters, everybody is condemned. Oh no, what do we do now? Then he enters the realm of faith. This is how you are then reconciled and brought right with God. If everybody is condemned, then there has to be a way by which we get right with God, and it's faith. So as we look at this uh, Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this in 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, therefore, anytime you see therefore in Scripture, It points backwards to something that just took place. And in this case, it was that Abraham was justified by faith. And then it talked about the promise uh, in 4, 14 through 16, talked about the promise is realized by faith. It is no longer about works. It is no longer about the Old Testament law. It is no longer about sacrificial systems. It is no longer about ceremonies. It is no longer about doing something good because our goodness falls short before the glory 
of God. So therefore, since we have been justified, and this, since we have been justified in the English, it's one, two, three, four, five words. It's one word in Greek, and that word is dikaio. Dikaio means to remove guilt. So when he writes it, therefore, since our guilt has been removed, years I have spent, it's just fact, years I have spent as a pastor and I have heard people talk about their past. And it really does weigh them down at times. Well, pastor, this is what happened 20 years ago. And they carry it with them even though they do not need to carry it. I'm talking about any sin that was committed. When it is confessed and you have repented of it, that sin is gone. The only person that wants to keep you in the past is Satan. And that's a fact. Because if you are then free, once you have been forgiven of that sin, you are then, the burden is released and you are able to go forward and live your life with God. You do not carry that. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to pay for those sins. And honestly, one woman long time ago, she, <clears throat> it was, I haven't talked about this woman, but she had an abortion. And she said, Pastor, with tears in her eyes, uh, can God forgive me of that? And I said, it was wrong, but absolutely, God can forgive you of that. You, did you repent of it? Yes. Then you can't carry that anymore. Yes, you may, you may feel like it's an insurmountable sin to overcome. But listen, the only sin that is unforgivable is the rejection of Jesus Christ. When you do that, that's the unpardonable sin. Every sin that is committed by man can be forgiven by God, except that one. And so Paul says here, therefore, since we have been justified. Now, Paul uses this dikaio in the sense of a jury. You've heard me talk about this before. By, by the way, um, we're talking here about peace. Twelve angry men. You remember that movie? <clears throat> it's actually a literary masterpiece. It's got Henry Fonda. I was going to do my Henry Fonda impersonation, but um, I'll spare you that. Um, <clears throat> Henry Fonda turned the entire jury to acquit, but it took a long time. People said, he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty, guilty. And so when that jury came back in, they were united. We find the defendant not guilty. That's exactly what Paul uses in this word justified. Every sin that had, you have committed, past, present, and future, has been forgiven by Christ. You stand justified in a right standing with God. Now the question is, obviously, <clears throat> the question is, how does this come about? Does it come about by, okay, I get saved, and now I do this, this, this and this, and that keeps me in a right standing with God? I've heard people say it this way. Well, I'm saved, but if I don't toe the line, I'll be unsaved. So in other words, what they're saying is, I'm going to let this scale 
here's my good and here's my bad, but the problem is it's always going to tilt no matter how, how good you are. The issue here, Paul gives us one little word, pistis. How are you justified? It is by faith. It is by faith to put trust in confidence in Jesus Christ. Obviously, Paul uses the word in conjunction with justified to point to the cross. Because that's ultimately how we are justified by God. It has nothing to do with what we do. Now, am I saying that, uh, that you, get, you get saved, you get justified by God, and then you just willy-nilly live as you want to live? No. Because what happens is, at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in to your heart, and he begins directing you and saying, oh, shouldn't do that. Nope, shouldn't do that. Yes, do this. So it's, it's not that we're free to do whatever we want to do. Paul would say, can we just continue to sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, no, may it never be. But the issue here is the way that you get forgiven and the guilt removed and the relationship stored, restored with God and put in a right relationship with him is by faith. It has nothing to do with what you or I can do. Please know that. There's, there's a lot of people that think that, that, and I've even heard this in 30-something years of, of ministry. Well, when I get my life together, I'm going to go to church. Right? And, and then I'll come down to the aisle, and then I'll get baptized. Let me just say this to those that are watching in whatever realm we're in today. You will never have your life together apart from Christ. Never. I mean, that'll, ne that'll, that'll never happen. You'll never be clean enough to come to church and be saved. You're, you're, you're going to be dirty until Christ cleans you up. And that comes by faith. Now, the result of this, and this is the main clause here, therefore we have been justified by faith. This is the main clause of the text and why I included it uh, in this first little section. We have, underline it, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. His humanity, his divinity, and his lordship. All included. Arene is the word there for peace, which means tranquility. Robert Mounts writes this, to have peace with God means to be in a relationship with God in which all hostility caused by sin has been removed. It is to exist no longer under the wrath of God. That is an excellent statement. When you come to faith in Christ, and I may say this before I say what I just getting ready to say, is that before you come to Christ, you are an enemy of God. So think about it. The lost world today is an enemy of God. And Paul writes in Romans, you are under the wrath of God. But since grace came and you repented of your sins, that wrath is now removed. You are no longer enemies of God. You are now friends of God. You now belong in the camp of God. Back in the army, uh, 
one of these days I'm going to make it through an entire sermon without talking about the army. <laughs> um, I used to have to, we used to have to do foe and friendly uh, tanks, aircraft, and, and I had cards that I, uh, that I played with my troop. And I would say, okay, guys, we have this test coming up. We have to be able to identify aircraft. We have to be able to identify tanks. We have to be able to, uh, to identify all these different weapons. And we have to determine whether they're friendly or foe. And I would flip a card. Inevitably, somebody would say, friendly. <laughs> it's foe. It's foe. <laughs> they're not part of us. That's a Russian tank. You have to shoot that, right? <laughs> but after a while, the guys got on board, and they were able to take the test and pass. But we are now friends of God. We're no longer enemies. And I think people, some people walk around in their Christian life wondering when God is going to zap them. Listen. Christ got zapped on the cross. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ on the cross so that we can be put in a right standing with him when we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Um, this peace, tranquility. Switzerland. I think this was the exact one we saw in Interlochen, Switzerland. You see that it's just so, it's different over there. Everything's a little quiet. It's cleaner. You don't see garbage all over the place. And you walk and you see these. I, I remember one where it was coming out of the center of the rock. It was just fantastic. But by the way, my tent was the only tent still standing the next morning when we had that big storm. The pastor's tent was knocked down, everybody else's tent, and I said, God's favor rests which the winds got pretty bad. But this is, this is such a peaceful picture. That's how your life should be, and that's how my life should be. It should be a place of tranquility and peacefulness. And Paul says, therefore, you've been justified by faith. You have peace with God, a reign a peace, which is a tranquil life. It's kind of funny that he says it here because in the next section of this sermon, we're going to talk about something that will challenge that peace. So I'll just put it this way. Paul was a master. He was a master writer. And I know God used him and directed him, but he was just a master. So there, there's, there's the peace aspect. Now let's look at the posture. So we've been made right with God by faith. And we are no longer enemies of God. We are friends of God. And you could say it this way. We are family of God. You're his child. Please know that this morning. If you have trusted in Christ, you are his child. Yes, you'll be disciplined at time, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. He always loves you. Now the posture comes in through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace underscore in which we stand. Echo. 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 It sounds like echo, but it is. 
This word obtain means we possess. It is firm. It belongs to us. This is something we have obtained. We have possession of it. It's ours. Remember that. We have access. Prosagoge. Prosagoge. This is an interesting word. And, and by the way, there's a couple of in interesting words here. This prosagoge means the right to approach someone of higher status. Prosagoge. Access. The right to go before someone of higher status. As I thought about it this week, I thought about the queen. Hop, hop, cheerio. <laughs> it's probably not how the English talk at all, but uh, she sits on a throne. I, I don't know, is she still, is she giving up the throne now? No, she's not giving it up, okay. She, I think she's the long, longest running monarch. Yeah, she's the longest running. Um, well, when you approach the queen, but the fact is you're able to approach the queen, particularly if you're getting knighted or, or some type of invitation by, by the queen. But for us, we are given the right. Listen to me. We are given the right to go before the throne of God. We didn't have that right prior. We didn't have that right over here. Enemies of God, uh, destined for eternal separation from God. No, 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 no. By the faith that I put in Jesus Christ, I am now standing firm. I have this peace that surpasses all understanding and all human wisdom. And God gives me the right to go before him to talk to him. By the way, Jesus is not a religion Jesus is a relationship. There's a big difference between those two. So he's given us access. J.B. Cranfield wrote this. I didn't put it up there because I want to keep my slides to a minimum. J.B. Cranfield writes this. Paul may possibly have in mind here the thought of an introduction into a royal presence. Of course he did. The, the word itself. The word itself, prosugoge, refers to coming before the presence of someone higher in the sense of royalty. Do you know who that is? That's God and Jesus Christ. We get to go before him. Horus is the word for grace. And by the way, Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in and find grace to help in time of need. Let's, let's, let's take a pause here. What do you have going on to your, in your life right now that maybe you just need to go to the throne? And I, I'm not talking the altar. What do you have going on in your life right now that maybe you just need to go talk to God about it one-on-one? -on -one? We all have stuff, right? Everybody has stuff. Some stuff may be more severe, some stuff not so severe, but still important. Listen, God cares about every detail of your life. And he gives us the right. He gives us the right 
to be able to go into his throne room and address him. Do you know how wonderful that is? That means that I have somebody, my God and Father, who I can go to and say, God, I need some help. And even just going before him, if this is what I like to do, is I like to draw an image in my mind of God high and exalted. And I get fixed on that, and, and I practice that presence of God. And I can see it very clearly. And it really is a game changer when you do that. Because it's not like you're just praying to air. We are praying to a living God. The word stand. We stand in this grace. Histami means continue steadfastly. So what, what we, why we can rejoice and hope this morning is because, because we're, we're at peace with God. And now he tells us that I can go before his throne. And by the way, you just stand in it. Now, sometimes you go to God over and over and over and over and over again. I'm telling you this morning, do not quit. Stand. Stand firm. God sees. He knows. Stand. Stand fast. And we rejoice some, sometimes it's just easy just to take the phrase. If, if you notice, my first point, we rejoice in hope. Actually, it came right from the scripture. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Kauhalomai. And I know, this, I know this looks like, yes, but it's not, it's not, it's not really. I'm, I'm not saying the translators, well, the translators were a little off on here, but kauhalomai is the word for boasting. Let me read it to you this way. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Kahalomai means to boast with a high degree of confidence. Now the real danger is, as we read in 1 Corinthians 1.31, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So our confidence... We know for sure in this hope that we can rejoice because we have confidence in the one who redeemed us. It becomes extremely important to get that nailed down in our lives to say, I'm going to boast about being a child of God. I'm going to boast about this because I belong to the Lord and the Lord did everything for me. And so Paul could write, let us come boldly not timidly, boldly before the throne of grace because we have confidence that God is with us and we have confidence that God will take care of us. Now, el peace, that's the Greek word there for hope. El peace means to look forward. It always has the idea of not only now, but futuristic, eschatological age, if you will where you, you have this confidence, not only here, but in the life to come. 
It's a confidence that is unshakable. I've, I've heard this my whole Christian life. I have confidence in the Lord. That's good. Because that's what it should be. My confidence is not in me, and my confidence is not in you guys and gals. As much as I love you, my confidence is ultimately in the Lord. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what's going on in my life, my confidence is in the Lord. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion when we see him face to face. So we have confidence. I wrote this down. This is not attributed to any commentary, but I, but I wrote this. Faith is always moving forward. Faith is never stagnant. Faith is always moving forward because we know the one who redeemed us is at the end of our life's journey and we will stand before him in full awe of his presence it's always moving forward faith is never stagnant if it's a stagnant faith then might, might i recommend to you today to repent and ask god to forgive you and then get back on the road now the reason we need this the reason that we need this uh this peace with god and 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 our position with him and, and why we need this posture of standing firm and having confidence in, in God and Christ being able to go before his throne. Why do we need all that? Paul, Paul could have broke out into a doxology of praise at this point. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But he didn't. What did Paul do right after he wrote this wonderful text? You have been justified by faith. You have peace with God. You can come before his throne and oh, by the way, you're also going to suffer. Now, you get this good feeling, right? You get this really good feeling. Pastor Mike really preached hard today. I go out, yeah, I'm really ready. And then all of a sudden, boom. You get hit with all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, you get out there, you leave here. Most of us, we leave here. I, I, I hope you leave here excited, ready to go out. <laughs> Boy, he really preached a bad one today. What, he didn't even bring his C game today. But immediately, Paul says, okay, let me pull you back from the clouds for a minute. More than that. Paul writes, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Kahalomai, we just looked at that word, it means to boast. I don't think Paul envisions, I don't think Paul envisions an issue where you're acting outside of the Christian standard and then you get feedback from it. I think what Paul's talking about here is that as you live your Christian life, you will get feedback. And it's not always going to be good feedback. Yeah. You can't go out there and live like the world and think that that's some type of persecution when people come back on you. That's not it. It's living in this, in this realm of relationship with God and then you go out into the world 
and the world doesn't like you. You realize that? I was talking to a guy last week. He said, I have had to delete people from these social medias because they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. And it's becoming problematic. And I said, sometimes you have to do that. You should always stand and try to be a witness to them. But, th but there's some point, you are not responsible for their salvation. You share the gospel with them, that ball falls in their court. And, 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 and by the way, people aren't going to like you when you trust in Christ. That is a guarantee. So just know that going in. That's, that's part of... And so Paul gives us this great mountaintop. We can go before him and, oh yeah, by the way, and you're also going to brag in your suffering. Philipses, trouble, persecution, hardship. Sometimes it's not, it's not because of the gospel. Sometimes it could be other issues in which you are suffering. But the fact is we will have trouble. None, none of us get out of this life without some type of trouble. We're not immune to it. Getting the inoculation of salvation doesn't change that. It might even enhance it. By the way, <laughs> kind of funny, uh, two years ago, I went to see my doctor at, at the VA, and it might have been two and a half years ago, right before the pandemic. And he said, I really think you should get the um, shingles vaccine. And I said, well, I, okay. So the nurse gave me the shot, and I, I said, you know, I've heard that that really hurts. I said, that didn't, that didn't hurt at all. And she said, just wait till you get out to the car. And <laughs> I got out to the car, and it felt like my arm was, was going to fall off, and it was sore, and it was red, and it hurt. And then she said, can we schedule you for the second one in three months? Ouch. I'm not kidding you, but it's good for 10 years. Problem is, sometimes suffering lasts a lifetime. And we've got to be prepared for that. And the way that we prepare for that is to know that I'm in a right relationship with God. I've heard this many, 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 many times. God must be angry at me. Sometimes bad things happen to his people. By the way, bad things happen to everybody, saved and unsaved. The difference, write this down, the difference is you're saved. You know this is temporary. And yet we go through this life thinking that when we get saved, Everything's going to fall into place and everything's going to be all right. But Paul gives us a little blueprint here. He says, more than that, we boast in our suffering. We boast because we know that we're suffering for the cause of Christ. And we boast in that. Not because we're doing it, but God is doing it through us. And then Paul writes this, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. I have to do things. I'm, I'm kind of a chart guy. I like to see stuff. 
as I'm writing the sermon out, I go, okay, God, I need a chart. <laughs> so we have here a chart. We have suffering. None of us really want trials and, and troubles. But from this, Paul says, suffering produces endurance, the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. Okay, this is the last one for the day, I promise. This is the last military one for the day. As a sergeant, I had to lead PT for the company, and the company commander would, back, back then I was in much, much better shape than I am now. Sergeant Frazier, front and center to lead the company. And... I would hear grumbling as I went to the front. Because I didn't run two miles, I ran five. And even my friend Sergeant Wade goes, hey, hey, be, be easy today. <laughs> I got a headache. <laughs> be easy. But through that difficulty of all of the exercises that we did, and I did it like once a month in front of the company, was to build these soldiers up so that they could endure combat. Suffering has one of its goal to build up endurance in your life and mine. So the more, the more suffering that comes your way, the stronger you are getting in your life. Paul says it. Suffering produces endurance, the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. So think of it this way. The more it hurts, the stronger you're getting. And by the way, let me say this. God will never put on you more than you can withstand. And when you're going through that endurance conditioning, if you will, then you go before God and you say, God, I need help. Give me strength. I'm not going to do this within my own. I'm going to ask you to give me strength to endure this tough difficulty. Now, yeah, I was like, come on, Paul. You just talked about us being on the mountaintop. Now I've got to tell the congregation, oops, there's something coming. And endurance produces dokima. Dokima, which is the word for character. So suffering will strengthen us and it will at the same time build our character. And this word means, oh, this, this is a bad word for all of us, dokima. It means to test the genuineness of something. You are no better a Christian than how you handle your circumstances. You are no better a Christian than how you handle your circumstances. You can have faith in Christ, you can believe in Christ, and that's great, you're going to heaven, but then you can lose your character when things don't always go your way. That's because you're not allowing God to build your endurance. 
And sometimes it could be at work, it could be anywhere, you blow up. Do you know what I have going on in my life? And you blow up. The issue's not there, the issue's with endurance. And there's, there's been Christians that I've met in my life, they've not set one day in Bible college, seminary, anything. And yet, and yet, they have endured all kinds of stuff and it shows in their character. The fastest way to, to know whether somebody is strong in Christ, when they're in a circumstance or a situation that is difficult, look at how they act. If they act like a child, that means their endurance is really low. I can endure this, but not that. So Paul says, look, this suffering, you're up here, you're able to, you're, you're right with God, you have this peace. And brothers and sisters, I've met people that have gone through very difficult things, and they are staying the course. I mean difficult stuff. I could preach another sermon just on the difficult stuff that I've seen in my life that people have endured. And they have stood there because they have allowed suffering to give them endurance, and it really does shape their character. So when somebody goes nuts over even the smallest thing, that tells me that person doesn't understand why we have suffering. There's no endurance. They're not able to stick with it because they haven't understood that suffering's going to come their way and through that suffering, you get strong. And anyway, so you have suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Boa and Crudenire, in their commentary, write this. I only put up stuff here I agree with. So. I wouldn't put, well, I could. I maybe throw it as an argument, but, uh, and by, by the way, hope. Now, they write this, and so what he is saying, that simply suffering for the sake of the gospel produces hope? No. No, not in of itself. Hope arises out of a willingness to persevere in things of God despite tribulation, which perseverance results in proven character. The hope is, the hope is, and this hope again looks forward, you're not always going to be in the circumstance or situation you're in. The Christian life can be identified in three phases. I'm either heading into a trial, or I'm in the trial, or I'm coming out of the trial. But here's the issue. This is the way I like to visualize it. I start out here as a baby Christian, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then I start growing to the next, to the next, to the next. So the bigger the circumstances, the more I trust God, the stronger I get. And my hope is increased. Again, 
hope is the outflow of what Paul has just been talking about. Now, he gives us a breather here. Because nope, how many of you all like to talk about suffering? None of us do. But that's the purpose. Suffering produces endurance. It produces character. And ultimately, hope is the byproduct of all of that. That it's always looking forward, always moving forward. But then Paul does something. It's kind of like a fresh, thankfully. It's kind of like how we do when we come out of trials, right? (laughs) It's like that. There's the pouring. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Kataskuno. Kataskuno. The word shame means to humiliate. I didn't tell anybody this, but last week um, I had visited a couple of people in the hospital and, and I got a phone call from one of those people and they had COVID. So the next day I didn't tell anybody because I didn't need to tell anybody until if I had it or not. And if I didn't have it, then I'd worry about it. So one of the, I got a call and said, you need to go get tested. So I got tested. And, you know, I'm pretty good at it now. You break it off, you put it in a thing. And then I did something really stupid. Um, and Audrey laughed probably all the way home. So, so I, had the, I had the vial, and she, it was, I was in the car. We were in the car. And the lady said, just put that bag in that white box. So I, I pull up to the white box. She's gone now. And, and by the way, to talk to the lady, you have to press the button. So I'm like screaming, hey, hey. And Audrey said, you got to press the button. <laughs> so I get to the white box, and I pull it like this, but it won't move. It's locked. And I said, hey, it, it won't open. And then my hand accidentally hit the top, and the lid came up. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> The school of the gifted. And I, I put it in the box, and Audrey was laughing all the way home, and I said, okay, okay, that's a little enough. That's, that's. Yeah, that was kind of humiliating. Uh, all you had to do was, I was like, going like this trying to get that in I said it's not open she said she's not going to hear you pulled the lid and I went this hope that we have it, it will never humiliate us it will never humiliate us one of my favorite theologians Douglas Moo writes this Christians need not fear that judgment will put them to shame in the sense that the foundation on which they have built their lives and hope for eternal blessing should prove inadequate. He is absolutely right. You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You will never, ever, ever, ever be put to shame at the final judgment because you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ while the world, the lost world, stands before the great white throne of judgment. You will never be put to shame. You never have to worry about the fact that you are not a child of God. You are a child of God. 
you have been given blessings, you have been given benefits. Yes, you might mess up on suffering from time to time, and you might accidentally blow your character, but ultimately, ultimately, when you breathe your last breath here, and you breathe your first breath in the kingdom of God, you will never be put to shame, because I know whom you have believed, and he will keep it until the day committed unto him and you will stand before his throne in all of his glory and the world the lost world who has rejected Christ they will be put to shame you will never be put to shame because you are a child of the king you are a child of the king because as Levi used to say because when he was little because because, listen to this, listen to this, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Where does it say, I do anything in that verse? Somebody tell me. I don't do anything. Listen to this. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And because he's given us the Holy Spirit. That's God's initiative. That's God's action. And we stand firm in that. That's why we can boast. Okay, the world doesn't like me. And I may be going through tough times. But I'm going to boast in Christ because I know someday when I cross the finish line, I will see him because God loves me. And by the way, not a Joel Osteen type of God loves you, but a biblical idea that God loves you. He always loves you. Please know that today. Please know that. God loves you. Ekro. This love has been poured. Poured. Into our hearts. Cardia. You ever notice... God goes over the top all the time for us. Did you ever notice that? God goes over the top. He has blessed us. Ephesians chapter 1. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. God is a God that lavishes stuff on his people. And by the way, we, none of us deserve it. Right, Joyce? None of us deserve it. God pours out his love for us. If you're a born-again believer this morning, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, let me just tell you this. God loves you abundantly. In spite of difficulties and hardships and circumstances, God loves you abundantly. You never have to question that. And by the way, Ephesians, go back and read Ephesians chapter 1. Lovely. It's wonderful. You were marked with him with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and glory of God. Know this this morning. We have peace with God through faith. The war is over, it's settled. This peace leads to a future hope. 
Nothing can rattle that. This hope is strengthened and nurtured through trials and tribulations. But we do not go alone because God has poured his love into us and has given us his son. This is the fortress in which we have. And this is the hope, which is the futuristic and now ability to live out our faith. 